Welcome, Welcome to, to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. Yeah. Do you think that line's run its course, Danny? Um, is it like the signature now, though? I don't know. It is. It's tradition for sure. But I think about that when I listen to the episodes. I always trip up over the colorful characters part. It's a lot of sounds. (laughs) But I I think about that. I'm like, does does this even make sense? And I have to say it does make sense. Yeah. So if it ain't broke, we'll just keep saying it until someone yells at us. So Tim, have you had any good meals lately? (laughs) Thank you for asking. (laughs) well, you know that you know my affinity for supper clubs, and of yeah. course I was out. I'm enjoying the supper club thread. Yeah. Well, here's the latest. So Yeah, give us the supper club updates. Yeah, so we were out at my dad's farm last weekend, Friday night. Called my dad and said, hey, we're heading out there. He's like, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, hey, Friday fish fry, got to do it. But we're not going back to the place with the crazy lighting. <laughs> we learned our lesson. So, you know, there's no shortage of spots out there. Right. Actually, there is. What but... are you getting with, how are you having your fish? Well, I mean, it's fried, obviously, but what yeah. are you having with it? Uh, usually, like, a coleslaw, some sort of potato option. Are you doing, like, tartar sauce? Yeah, tartar sauce is there. Lemon ketchup. wedges. Uh, ketchup is on the table. Actually, that's interesting. So this particular place, I'm glad you brought the ketchup. This particular place had the ketchup on the table, which is great, but I'm a Heinz guy. Mm. Is it Heinz? It wasn't even Heinz. It was some sort of generic fancy ketchup. (laughs) And I didn't, if it's fancy, it's Heinz. You know, you don't need to put fancy on a, on a generic label. I feel like I'm pretty okay with other ketchup types, but. I heard that they match the Pantone to the packaging so that you know if, if the ketchup comes out and it doesn't match the packaging, you know that somebody's put a lesser or different ketchup mm. in the Heinz bottle. Huh. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. I forget where I read that. Huh. But anyway, we're here to talk about... Yeah, the fried, yeah. The, the fish fry situation. Yeah, so this particular place has uh, roasted chicken yep. and, uh, and the fish fry. And then you can do... An all-you-can-eat situation. So we all order. I go chicken and fish. Shan goes chicken. My dad goes chicken and fish. Not important. But anyway, so Shan's just doing the chicken. So we, uh, we're we wrapping up the meal, and, and I can't even finish. It's so much food, and it's all fried. And Shan's like, <laughs> Shan's like. <laughs> it's all fried. Yeah, it's all fried. And, uh, oh, we did get potato pancakes, which oh, were pretty those good. those are great. Yeah, with applesauce, a little dish yeah, of applesauce on top. That. It was good. Uh, so Shan's like, I'm going in for another piece of chicken. And I'm like, okay, it is all you can eat. And every time the waitress had come to the table, she's like, hey, could I get you guys any more? Are you ready for more? Do you want some more? And uh, so anyway, Shan gets the extra piece. I'm like, there's no way she's finishing this. And then sure enough, we order some cake to go. And Shan's like, oh, and by the way, could I get a box for this chicken? And the woman's like, I'm so sorry. All you can eat doesn't allow for you to take things with you. Uh... So Shannon had unknowingly opted into this agreement that she would not have leftovers. Oh my gosh. So then we look back at the at the at the menu and it says at the very top, in the largest font possible, <laughs> it says all you can eat. So you could take a doggy bag as long as you haven't finished your first helping. But hmm. once you order something beyond that, you are opting into an agreement <laughs> oh my for the gosh. all you can eat, in which case you are not allowed to bring food home with you. Huh. So we That's had to wild. choke down another piece of fried chicken before. Or just let it go yeah. to waste. Yeah, and I get that, and I understand the rules. However, we were the last people in the dining room. Yeah, it's 
like yeah. like not like not a single other diner yeah. and people are cleaning tables. It seems like a rule that you would implement only if you felt like people were truly taking advantage of the system. Yeah. Not if you had like a single extra order of a chicken. Yeah. But you know me, I'm a rule follower. Eaten. Yeah. I, I don't want to shake anything up. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> oh, Moving man. on to more important matters. Yeah, like this week's guest. That's right. We got Greg Wade. Yep. From the hood. From the neighborhood. That's right. Same neighborhood as stock manufacturing. <laughs> yep. Um, so, yeah, Greg Wade is the head baker for One Off. He runs Public and Quality Bread. Um, he pretty much implemented the, you know, wholesale side of uh, One Off and Public mm-hmm. and Bread. Um, and he's a bread guy, a pure yeah, bread guy. He always is. has been. He knows a ton, as you will learn through this episode. Yeah. With some nice uh, nice stops along the way. We won't give any spoilers. Well, yeah. People probably know where he worked before. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. I do need to throw out a quick disclaimer on this. Uh, during the gratuity round, I slammed Greg <laughs> with 10 <laughs> hard-hitting Grateful Dead questions because I know he's a fellow fan. However... I got into a similar uh, kind of a Seinfeld situation with the Moors versus the Moops, and I was given some bad information. So there is a question (laughs) about the drum system the Grateful Dead plays during the drum segment of each show. And uh, Greg was correct. It is called the Beam, not the Beast, as I was erroneously uh, fed online. (laughs) So it turns out uh, they can put things on the internet that are not true. Yeah, that is true. So readers beware. So anyway, without further ado, please enjoy your conversation with Greg Wade. So Greg, do you want us to refer to you as a bread master? No. Uh, no, uh, uh, wheat wizard is fine. Yeah, what wizard. is the most pretentious form you've heard of uh, your occupation? I don't, like, uh, I don't know. People, people still like they'll still call you chef. Um, yeah. Do you not like that? I'm not that guy. You know. Do you He's, discourage it if someone's like behind you, chef? Or are you like? Mm. I like the behind you. Like safety words are important, but like yeah, the the chef. I don't, it's, it's just not. How do you discourage it? Do you say like, please don't say that? No, I'm just like I'm just like ah, I'm not that guy. You know, chef yeah. fine. You know, a little <laughs> colloquial. That is not me, man. Yeah. <laughs> I I do feel I think that is etiquette though. Like if when I see chefs, yeah, I, I, does it depend on setting? If you're at the restaurant, do you call them chef, and if you see them at the grocery store, they're just. You go by the first name. Uh, well, so I'm talking in the context of like if somebody's like working at the bakery and they call me chef. I'm like, yeah. uh, no, you know. <laughs> oh, like a hierarchy thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you meet like a fan, sometimes they might call you chef. Yeah, like if we're at an event or something, somebody might call me chef. And like, you know, if I've got the if I got the time, if I'm not swamped for some reason when we do events, we're always like, we're gonna do these like super aspirational things, and then like puts us in the weeds, and we're like, oh, stupid, but it's delicious, but. If a chef attains a doctorate, do they become doctor and then chef, or is it chef and then doctor? Chef, comma, MD. <laughs> New single coming Yeah, out which soon. title? Yeah, which I'm going to make everyone that? at stock call me chef. <laughs> Cooking up the uniforms. Opposite, yeah. All right, Greg, you're self-taught. Yes. Where did this journey begin? Uh, so, baking in general. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I like to tell this story, but my, uh, my, my first... Um, introduction to baking was my grandmother would babysit uh, when we're like super young and um, my uh, my parents would come home and she would she what she'd like to do was bake cookies and cakes and stuff with us just to like pass the time 
And um, my parents would come home and there'd be like little flowery handprints all over the, the kitchen and stuff like that. And they'd like pretend to be mad about it because it's arguably pretty adorable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, that was my, my first like, you know, introduction to it was just like passing time when you're like five. You what know? kind of stuff were you guys making? It was literally, yeah, it was like cakes and cookies and like, you know, I remember making like a, a jello watermelon once. Oh. You know? Anything you'd put on the menu today? Oh, yeah. The oh, je- really? Jello, jello, jello watermelon all the way. So that was the first thing. And then um, uh, when I was, uh, you know, 12 or 13, right as I was getting like, you know, people listening can't tell when I'm covered in tattoos. So I'm pretty angsty as a uh, kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, my, my dad and I were looking for something to connect on. Um, when, when I was, when I was, you know, 12, 13, whatever. So we got on my, my grandmother's old bread machine and like the bad recipe book that got with it or came with it and, um, started making rye bread. Uh, cause my dad grew up eating rye bread with his toast for the morning or whatever. So he was, where'd you grow up real quick? Uh, New Berlin, Wisconsin. It was okay. like a suburb yeah. of Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah. I know New Berlin. Really? Yeah. The way you say it makes me sound like you, makes me think you don't. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I grew, I grew up 20 minutes from the Wisconsin border. So, you know, driving north, you okay. see all the signs. Yeah, now, exactly. I haven't spent time there, but, you know. Because it's, yeah, New Berlin is, is not New Berlin. Yeah. New Berlin. New Berlin. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah well, the, you're the first local I've yeah, connected the with. Emphasis is wrong on the wrong syllable there. Yeah, yeah. I, said, uh, I said Nutrier for a long time. And Jim's like, no, man, it's Nutrier. I don't know what you're talking about. Just a high school on the yeah, North Shore. That's where, he, where my business partner went to high oh, school. Got it. Yeah. That's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> uh, so you're baking with your dad. Yeah, so baking with the dad. And then um, uh, when you say bread machine that your grandmother had had, what are, what are we talking about? I mean, like countertop, you know, you, you put all the stuff in it and then, uh, you know, press the button and it just, you know, kneads it, makes it rise, whatever. And. Um, I think we you have to take it out of the machine and like put it in, put it into the oven. Got it. Um, but yeah, that's it. It's like it's a. I know. had one of those. Yeah. But it always you'd inevitably end up with the hole in the bottom where the mixer was. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I believe. Unless it. I was supposed to remove that before the baking happened, I but I thought it was just like a set it and forget it type of situation. Yeah. Well, I think the well the one that I had was more of just like a kind of like a six pan, but then like it just jostles it around, so it's mm-hmm. not actually like kneading it, kneading it. It's just like. Clunking okay. it around in there. I think it was more Grandma like, had the high end version. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I don't know. We didn't have the mixing part, so it just. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you know, the started started baking. Uh, I was like actually baking bread, and looking back on it, it was probably really bad bread, but whatever. Um, and then uh, uh, eventually, I went to culinary school, um, and uh, only took one baking and pastry class, and it was like and cakes and muffins and cookies and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, bread, I would like had a passion for, you know, I just like, and in like world cuisine, I would do all the, the breads that came up on the menus there. And, um, I would go into skill labs and be making, just trying to make bread and whatever. What makes, why do you think you gravitated toward bread? Cause nobody else wanted to do it. They're all terrified of it. Yeah. They're, it. they're like, they're like, this is really even, you know, if you, if you think about like a lot of chefs are like, oh, I don't want to deal with bread and dough and yeast and whatever. They just... Like, I'm not doing that. Is it because it's, like, more unpredictable? They always say that, but, like, once you learn, it's just, it's like anything else. You learn about it, and it's, like, it's very, actually very predictable. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, like, one of those things is, like, everyone thinks it's, like, oh, baking is, like, it's really exact science, and it's really, um, yeah, it's really technical, and it's really, which, like, and it kind of is, but, like, it also kind of isn't. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was one of, like, the, everyone was, like, oh, this is, like, a really hard thing. And I was, like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you're in culinary school and you're kind of gravitating more toward the bread parts of it. Uh, then what happens afterward? Well, I mean, uh, in all fairness, I, I, I did a lot of bake, bread baking in culinary school, but I was like, I just dove right in, you know, okay. I was like, so it wasn't like exclusively bread or anything like that. It was, I did try to do everything I could. Um, but then after culinary school, I started working at um, a place called Taxim in Wicker Park. Yeah. And um, uh, I was doing uh, uh, bread as a passion project, and I was uh, doing pastries. And then um, right after I started, they, they opened up for lunch. And so I started doing line cooking. I eventually did dinner, line cooking, along with all the other stuff. And um, that's where I met uh, the chef de cuisine uh, that was going to open up uh, Girl Nigo with uh, Steph Heiser. And oh, cool. so he left Taxim, brought me with, said, hey, I got the spot for you at Girl and the Goat, um, but we want you to bake bread full-time. Wow, full-time bread. So you had a pastry chef also, and you were just on bread? For, at Girl and the Goat? Yeah. Yeah, so the, uh, yeah, they had they had a pastry team, um, and uh, yeah, I just, I was their, I was the bread baker hmm. uh, when, when they first opened. Were they kind of just like, here's the keys, uh, do what you want? Uh, yes. Well, Steph, I think she, her, her words were, um, I just want really tasty bread. Uh, and that was, that was what I got. So, um, that was, that's pretty much it. And then I, I had the parameters of like the time of day it needed to be done and how much, and we collaborated on like, um, having like, you know, this, the, the different menu and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, a lot of it was very like, you know, it was, it was, I was able to flex a lot of creative muscles there. Um, as long as, as long as it tasted really good, Steph was usually pretty happy. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was her first restaurant, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 Well, so no, well, no, she had Scylla, uh, and then, um, that closed, she went on Top Chef and right. then, um, yeah. and then opened up. I guess post puts. Top Chef. So yeah. like there's yeah. a pr- pretty big anticipation for that restaurant. Oh yeah. Did the team feel that pressure? Oh, it was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Like at the time it felt like something really, really special. It felt yeah. like something pretty monumental. I remember the first time I went, I think we made our reservation like four months in advance. It was, it's insane. It was very hyped at the time and it delivered. It was a really good it's meal. It's still hyped, right? It's like, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's still hard to get a seat. Yeah. What's your favorite goat restaurant? Uh, gosh. I mean, the, the Chunking chicken at, uh, at Duck Duck is, is really incredible. I love um, Duck Duck. That's a good takeout. I live right there. I can go to the window and pick it up. It's very yeah. convenient. Uh, Braggart. D- design <laughs> yeah. on that restaurant is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't I mean, like, she makes good food, you know? It's like, it's, it's hard to, you know, each different thing. Like, there's a bunch of stuff that I miss from Little Goat. There's, like, you know, mm-hmm. the, um, everyone thinks about the green beans at, at uh, Girl on the Goat, but, like, cauliflower for me is where it's at. You know, pickled peppers and mint and Parmesan and stuff, like, pine nuts, boom, done. I wonder who's going to go into that corner spot where... Uh, little goat was. I don't know. Somebody with big a big chain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Can't be cheap rent. Unknown. Yeah. <laughs> TBD. Not me. I can yeah. tell you that. <laughs> Do you remember some of the the favorite breads you made at, at Girl and the Goat? Um. Yeah. So like. Uh, I don't know. We, we like. So one of the things that I was kind of charged with was doing, uh, trying to use up um, uh, waste from the rest of the the kitchen. You know. So like. They had broccoli on on something, so I took the broccoli stems and shredded it up and, and made like a broccoli cheese bread. Mm. Oh, cool! Um, and you know, I've, after really practicing my my baking craft for a long time, a lot of the stuff that I was doing at Girl and the Goat was like not very, it's not traditional bread making like at all. You know, um, 
which is fine. <laughs> yeah. Did but. you find it? So, I mean, one of our, uh, one of our past interviews was with, uh, Sarah Misbagel, us Bader, mm-hmm. And she was talking about how, as it turns out, you can't make bread with tomatoes because tomatoes like have, you know, something in there that breaks apart the, the gluten structure or something. Well, it's like got that. acid. Like, okay. uh, yeah. High acid is going to break down gluten. And um, so I was, yeah. Did you discover anything at girl and the goat where you were like, uh, as it turns out, I'm trying to use these leftover <laughs> ingredients to make bread, and it does not work. Uh, well, so you know, kind of interesting that I, I used to um, uh, used to like smoke parsnips and like puree them. And Can you get high on that? <laughs> uh, no, Sorry. that was uh, low hanging fruit. Yeah, that was, that was uh, after the shift. Was, uh, <laughs> um, the uh, no, we used to smoke parsnips and like puree and cook them in puree or whatever. And, um, yeah, the, uh, the smoke, uh, uh, apparently like the, something, I think it's like, again, probably the acid or something like that, uh, got, um, really deteriorated the, the quality of the dough. Mm. It was like, when it turned out, it was really cool and really, really delicious. But, um, yeah, it was something that I wasn't really expecting. It was like, why is this not working? And yeah, I think it was. All right. So no smoke, no tomatoes. Gotta, we got to write a couple of Oh, yeah, so we actually did, we actually did use, I think we used like, maybe it was tomato powder okay, or it. something like that. But yeah, with, like, we ended up, we, smart. En- we ended up, end up doing like a, it's like a tomato bread with like a Gordal olives inside and black pepper and cheese on top and served with like a Worcestershire butter. Yeah. And doing like this Bloody Whoa. Mary thing going on. Hmm. Yeah. It was kind of fun. You know, it's like, that it's, is fun. That it's, sounds really good. It's like, yeah, it's like, if you talk about this in like a baking community, everyone's like, dude, you're using like chicken stock and bread. Like, what are you doing? And, um, <laughs> are these like focaccias? Are they soured? Like, what's the style uh, of these? It was all, all, all different stuff, you know, okay. we do. So we try to do different like varieties of flavors and, and um, shapes and styles and things like that. Cool. Um, what are the basic styles of bread? Oh gosh, I mean, you got. Uh, is it, I mean, is it? Is it? Are we going to get into a Forrest Gump shrimp scenario? Was, <laughs> like, the same thing, yeah. Or can we do like? I mean, is there like? Are there categories like? Are there like five main categories that kind of branch off? Or? Yeah. So I, I suppose you could break it down into like uh, into um, like flatbreads, uh, like I suppose yeasted hearthbreads. Uh, I suppose you could do like sourdough hearthbreads, and like both of those would be in a larger category of lean bread okay um and then you've also got your like enriched doughs you know so that would be your your brioches and your hollows and your pandemies and things like that so if i had to really blanket categorize some stuff when you say enriched dough so there's like there's lean dough and there's a rich enriched dough lean doughs are like um just flour water salt uh sour starter or yeast or whatever um, enriched doughs have enrichments like, like uh, or yeah, dairy eggs, or butter, yeah. milk, that sort of thing, sugar. Uh, yeah, so those, um, you mentioned in the intro in your book that that has contributed to the gluten intolerant epidemic. Can we t- touch briefly on that and like how, what, like, my wife is like, oh, well, well like, she, she loves public bread. Like, this is, that's her favorite bread. That's what we keep in the house. And she's like, I just feel like I don't feel heavy. I don't feel weighed down after this. She's like, it's got to be the, the good ingredients. And I'm like, well, I'll well, ask Greg. Oh, it's the, oh thank you. Uh, and um, <laughs> and this whole podcast is just a, was just a ruse to get Shannon's question answered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I have something to talk about with my wife before bed. <laughs> I mean, whatever you need to do. Yeah. So, um, the, uh, uh, so 
it's it's uh, the good ingredients, but it's also uh, fermentation. Fermentation is incredibly incredibly important. Okay, we're talking about that sort of stuff. So like, it all starts with how wheat is grown, and commodity wheats are like um, they're very chemically dependent. They they're raised with uh, uh, fertilizer. They're um, sprayed with. Uh, uh, pesticides, um, and then uh, usually at the end of the wheat's life cycle, um, the uh, the like a farmer that has you know acres and acres and acres of of, uh, of wheat, they'll spray it with Roundup to to dry it out. So like wheat's a non-GMO crop, which is great, but um, they use that to their advantage or our disadvantage, in my opinion. That they they um, spray Roundup on it to kill it. And then uh, that's it's, it's a desiccant, so it dries it out in the field. Mm. Versus like a like a organic wheat farmer, they're gonna have to wait for the, the the wheat to dry in the field naturally. But say we get rain or something happens, or they can't get the it like molds or whatever. Yeah, it'll mold or it'll start sprouting in the seed head, and then mm. you get like you know degradation of your flour and things like that. So like, there's a reason why the big guys like do it. Mm. Um, but you know, then you got Roundup on your. In your flour, so mm. yeah, so that's going to contribute. So the longer period to have it dry out naturally, probably much lower yield because there's probably some wastage. Could be. So it's, are... it's all about it's all about luck, you know. It's yeah. like some years is probably great, you know. Other years, that's what your your um, as uh, one of my farmer friends likes to say, "Mother of nature bats last." Yeah. So it's like, are you gonna you know are you gonna get that's out? That's a of good field one, and... mother nature bat. Yeah. 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 <laughs> are, are you gonna get out in time? I don't know. You know. Mm. Um, wow, that's interesting to think about how all the. The pesticides and things that are sprayed on commodity wheat just get broken down into the wheat that we eat. Well, yeah. Well, so you it actually goes. Unfortunately, it gets worse. So we're, we're not we're not done yet. Buckle <laughs> <laughs> up. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I know you said yeah. like brief, but like this. Yeah. Here's my here's my here's my elevator pitch. Throw out my bag of commodity wheat I have. And yeah. Like, uh, so it's um uh, so it starts off chemically dependent. Yeah. Um, and then it goes to a commercial mill. Commercial mill is going to add things like dough conditioners and emulsifiers and um, you know preservatives and things like that. Why are those things bad? Well, or uh, are those things bad? so like you you see bleached flour? Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. it was bleached? So yeah. so there's bleach in it. Yeah. <laughs> so, the literal bleach, yeah. the good bleach, well, like or, not like uh, not like undercounter bleach. It's like yeah. a, a potassium bromate or something like that. But still, um, and uh, the uh, like those things. Are, I mean, it's just you're adding more things that like if you make good bread, you don't need. Yeah, you know? I so you. it's just uh, and even like you've seen um, enriched flour. So which mm-hmm. is different from enriched bread. Enriched flour is actually they're adding like B vitamins and some or um, uh, amino acids and stuff like that back to the flour. Now, this is kind of an interesting side thing. Sorry, we we're talking about flowers. So no, I love it. Good, yeah. Okay. Why? Yeah. So why do they add those things back? Well, so uh, it's like they, iodine and salt, right? Uh, yeah. So well, yes. Um, so it's like a. Uh, I think it was from like a World War One, maybe World War Two. Like a you know a bunch of guys were getting called up, and then they were going to um, uh, get physically assessed. Well, they found everyone's nutrient deficient. Well, this happened shortly after the roller mill, so it must have been must have been World War One because it was. Um, uh, roller mill was like the 20s or something. Mm-hmm. So 1920s. Yeah, <laughs> it was 2020. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah it was a couple of years ago. Um, so uh, they're finding that all these all these men are nutrient deficient. They're like, well, what does everybody eat? Everyone eats bread. Well, let's put those things nutrients back into the flour. But it was taken out of the flour in the first place because mm-hmm. like the roller mill separates the the grain into its three parts: the bran, German, endosperm. And you're just left with the starchy endosperm uh, when you're when you do refined flour. So you're taking out all those nutrients. So they're mm-hmm. like, oh, and well now we've got this white flour which everyone loves. 
but now we don't have the nutrients. Well, we're going to now in whatever kind of backwards way that it makes sense, we're going to add those things yeah, chemically added, back yeah, to it. Yeah. We won't stop taking it out. Yeah. We'll just add it in after we take it out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> Efficient. Um, so anyway, so back to where we were. So it starts off chemically dependent. Chemically dependent. It uh, goes to a mill, gets more additives and enrichment and uh, bleaching and things like that. Um, and then a commercial bakery gets a hold of it. And the best thing for commercial bakeries make is money. It's they don't make good good anything, um, with, and, with no exceptions across the board. Correct. Okay. Yes. What about tasty cakes? <laughs> uh, can't say I've had them. <laughs> so good. Maybe maybe what the hell is tasty cakes? I mean, no, is this like a random it an LA thing? No, it's like a New Jersey Philly uh, oh. brand of like baked goods, and they oh. do like the butterscotch crumpets that are very delicious. Oh. I mean, I'm sure they're it's like Hostess, you know, it's like yeah. any of that stuff. Yeah. But it's a particular, it's kind of like a ran, an obscure but delicious factory treat. Yeah, mm-hmm. factory treat, exactly. So uh, so then the commercial bakery gets a hold of it. And the, the, the longer that, uh, that dough or bread sits as dough in a commercial bakery, the more money it costs. It's not like it's a non-value add for them. Oh, so they're not letting it ferment long enough is what you're saying? Correct. So uh, they add those, those dough conditioners and things to make it behave as if... It has been fermented. So in the uh, fermentation process, what is happening that is to our benefit? So um, in the fermentation process, so like let's let's kind of compare the two. The, like so, the commercial bread, um, it's it's uh, fermented for, for a very short amount of time. So and what it what it is is made all with that refined flour. So it's all complex carbohydrates. It's all starch. Yep. And then um, that starch doesn't get broken down. So versus like sourdough fermentation, you've got um, uh, what's called uh, FODMAPs. So you guys familiar with, it's called mm-hmm. fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. It's like fermentable complex sugars. And um, that's, that's what like complex starch is. Okay. So sourdough production breaks all of that down by like 90% in like four hours. You know, so it's just like four hours of fermentation and like all of those complex sugars are broken down into simple sugars. Simple sugars are um, able to be absorbed into our system. And uh, part of sourdough production also are something called branch chain amino acids. The, what these do is regulate uh, sugar intake into your bloodstream. So you can, you've got these complex sugars broken down into simple sugars, and it's able to be taken into our system, and it's regulated by the by these branch chain amino acids. So, okay. it's, so it's not just like a not like a, a, a spike in your um, blood sugar. Yeah, so, so it's healthier want, for our body. Yes. Yeah. So are these commercial kitchens doing that minimum amount of four hours of fermentation? They're not doing it. No, no. they're doing it none. They're, they're yeah, doing they're, oh, and, they're, and they're doing commercial yeast. It. Okay, and they're conditioning. And in it comparison, what's your fermentation? Uh, minimum 30 hours okay yeah and that's just sitting in the bakery yep in the fermentation station and do you play journey's podcast episodes to the bread <laughs> get all caught no, up we just, uh, <laughs> at a significant amount of grateful dead oh nice <laughs> yeah have you tried to change the music and seen different effects uh no, it's mostly grateful dead all right that's why the, the bread the studio so albums is it like working man's dead is it american beauty or is it more like jam band grateful dead uh well, i mean it's Grateful that it is a jam band, but it's uh, like it's but definitely Europe seventy two. It's a ton of Europe seventy two. No, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot of um, you know, different different shows. I actually like nineties Dead myself. Okay. But uh, but you know, all of it's great, and um, that a lot of Dead and Co. Actually, I love the love the way the direction that that went. Yeah. 
Um, Ending next week. Yeah, uh, well, we'll see. I mean, like they came out with the like Mickey was like, it's not the end of anything. So. True, he said. I think he said the end of touring, not the end of playing. Yeah, he said yes. It was cryptic. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out what it means. It's Mickey Hart. They're never done. I I hope my theory with Grateful Dead is. It'll just keep going with variations of the name and to the point where, you know, Bob, like people will start to die off or get too old to play. And I think it'll just like, as long as they can keep pulling people with the quality, like I I think John Mayer's done a good job for Jerry. If they can keep pulling musicians that can perform at that level and pay tribute to the band, I think it could go forever. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't like, that's kind of the point, right? Like it's, you know, music never stops. Yeah. 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 So I think that was, I think that was intentional bringing in, bringing in like John Mayer and, you know, the... Being able to pass on the, the torch, so to yeah. speak. Perhaps more on that later. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But something that does stop is the fermentation process at 30 hours. 30 hours, yeah. 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 So, uh, the, um, uh, so there's, there, again, there's a couple things going on in, in sourdough production. So, one, we're using whole grain uh, flour and actually like true whole kernel flour. Yeah. Um, and so, it's got all three parts of correct and so in comparison to like even like a whole wheat flour that you buy on the 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 shelf and store that's actually still roller milled and still separated into its three parts and then they just add the bran back to the refined flour Hmm. so they mill it separately they add it back so then it still like turns brown when you when you mix it whatever um but it doesn't have the germ so the the germ is where your um your uh like uh some omega three fatty acids are in your uh, why do they pull the germ out well because it's fat Mm. and that'll make it the flour go rancid so shelf stable it's not shelf there's no preservative that can keep that germ stable correct yeah Ah. well at least like the the people that want to do stone milling like you don't want to add a preservative you know it's just the the quality and the integrity so so uh when i like Mm. i I keep like uh so when i have this flour at home i keep it in the freezer wow yeah and just it still keeps for for a long time so there's nothing you buy on the shelf of a supermarket whether even if it's a whole foods or a fancy store that is something that you would uh feel comfortable turning into bread uh so that's not particularly true i mean there's there's still like there's organic refined flour which like is which is you know there's for me it's 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 very easy to be overzealous about like i'm only gonna use whole grains and this or that and then like Arguably, they make like you know denser products. Um, it's just not uh, you know. So there's, there's like a, for me, there's a happy middle ground. You know, so we we do blend refined flour with these really nice whole grain stone milk flours, um, but the the flour that we're using is like as clean as you can get, really. You know, what's the cost comparison between the say, two? Yeah. Uh, relatively significant. Um, you know, Three X? No, maybe double. Okay. Yeah. Worth yeah. it. Yeah, but again, I mean, they they taste great. They're um, they're they're good for you. They have all the nutrients. It's like your um, we use Janie's Mill, which is actually available um, uh, online. You can just order order anything you want online. They got a huge you know variety of different stuff. Um, and that's stable at room temp. Doesn't need to be in a freezer. Janie's, you you would want to like you know if you buy a big bag and put it in the freezer, it'll oh, it'll, right. it'll it'll be fine on the shelf for a month or two. Okay, depends on it. how hot your your pantry is, but huh. um, but yeah. Wow. Yep. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Because I feel like most of us who use flour at home, which is most people, I would assume, uh, are it's using... not in my freezer. Yeah, are I'll using it that. at room top. Well, so I'm not done talking about flour. So hold on. Yeah, yeah, so we got yeah. we got uh, so we got the the uh, complex sugars that are broken down and then regulated into your bloodstream. Um, but then you've also got now that we're using these whole grain flours with a lot of nutrients in them. There's uh, something uh, uh, called phytic acid that's present in like 
a lot of grain, you know, a lot of food in general. And phytic acid is a nutrient blocker. So like even if these nutrients exist, it blocks the blocks their uptake into your system. Hmm. Oh God, how does it do that? But it's uh, something with like I don't know the connections it makes in your digestive system or something like that. Yeah, but... molecular level stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, uh, sourdough production also um, creates an enzyme called phytase, breaks down phytic acid. Hell yeah. Right. So like it's now you've got all these nutrients and then you're able to actually absorb them uh, into your system thanks to the the, the phytic acid or the phytase rather. Hmm. So if we eat one bread, should it be sourdough? I would I would suggest sourdough sourdough is the key. Okay. Yep. And if we bake one bread ourselves, should it be sourdough? I would encourage it to be sourdough. But again, like even the fact that people want to bake bread in general, like, you know, it's it's like I said, it's very easy to be overzealous and say like, Oh, I want, you know, all whole grain and I want uh, you know, sourdough and I want you know, it's like, just bake some good bread, you know. The reason I don't bake bread is because I live five minutes from your shop. <laughs> and I can go. I mean, it's it's such a laborious process. And I get that it's like a labor of love. Yeah. But for me, I just want a nice piece of toast in the morning with some avocado on or yeah. eggs or whatever. You but know, like, well, to be fair, when I was baking bread when I was 12 with my, you know, bad bread machine and my dad, uh, we liked it because it's, you know, it's fresh baked. It's, you know, yeah. you made it. Um, and it's nothing to sneer at, you know. It's a... Uh, uh, you know, I talk about this in my book a lot. It's like bread baking is a very personal activity. Um, it's really rewarding. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it, it's okay that your bread turns out to be your own. You know, it's, you got to be got to be okay with that. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, complete your bar. Okay, let's get back to career path. Okay. Girl and the Goat, how how do we get to Publican from there? Uh, well, so uh, Girl and the Goat, um, you know, I was there for, I think, like five years or something between Girl and the Goat, and then they opened up Little Goat, and I ran mm-hmm. the bakery for, for Little Goat for a while. Um, and then uh, one of my old culinary school instructors, actually, she was one of the first pastry chefs for Blackbird. So oh. she stayed in touch with the culinary director, Justin Large, and then um, Paul, um, and, uh, she had heard, uh, one way or another that, that Paul had this interest in, uh, creating a bakery because they had been baking bread in the basement of PQM. Uh, PQM was open for, I don't know, six or six months or a year or something like that at that time. Um, and, uh, so she calls me up and says, Hey, I'm going to introduce you to the, these folks. You know, this is what they're doing. I think you should, I think you should do it. And, um, so she made the introduction and, um, I met Paul at Violet Hour, and uh, you know he comes in and he's like, "Well, uh, I've had your breads and they're tasty." And I was like, "Okay, cool." So he's like, <laughs> uh, "What do you want to do?" And I told him I want to really focus on natural fermentation. And I want to do local farm, feature local farms, whole grains. And he says, uh, "Great, I'm in," and that was it. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Easy enough. <laughs> Did you get to order a drink? Uh, yeah, uh, no, it was uh, it was like daytime, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. It was like okay, I got you. It's meeting Paul for your first time when you're like young twenties. You're like, <laughs> so he had had your breads at Little Goat. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yep. And okay, and he was just like, all right. That's all I need. Come on. Yeah, the, you know, I, I, like I ended up uh, spending some spending a night with the uh, the bread team and and whatever. But but yeah, it was. So uh, when you started, were they still in the basement of PQM? Yes. And then you guys opened the spot on Lake. Yes. Right? Yeah. So it was right I remember, around. The I, went, I went there to try to, to try to buy bread. And they're like, no, no, no. This is a bakery. Yeah, everyone did. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So luckily now, you know, nine years after that, we uh, have a retail shop. Uh, people can come and buy bread directly from us. That's yeah. baked that morning and. Sometimes it's still hot out of the oven, you know. So let's say, I mean, I guess backing up a tiny bit, let's say we're we're at home and we want to bake some bread and we want to bake sourdough. What's our, how should we start? How should we go uh, about this? All right. So um, one, like get some sourdough starter or make it. Um, Do you guys sell starter? We give it away. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. We give it away. And then like, if you, if you haven't bought my book yet, we give you a little information packet on like how to take care of it and grow it and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, you can, you can go to your friendly neighborhood bakery and ask them for a sourdough starter, um, or you can make your own. Um, and, uh, you know, key is like, you know, really feeding the starter for a few days and getting used to its like life cycle, um, and using it when it's at its peak, you know, so when it's at its most like voluminous. Yeah. How, okay. So getting used to its cycle, how do we determine that? Well, you just, you, you feed it flour and water. Yeah. And then um, a lot of people use like a rubber band or like mark it with like a dry erase marker where it started. And then you just watch and see how tall it gets. And yeah. when you notice it stop growing? Yep. Okay. And then and you'll then... notice it stop growing and starts going down, you're yeah. past the peak. Okay. And yep. you don't want to be past peak. Well, then you would feed it again. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a good thing is you can just... You All just right. So you can keep feeding it flour and water. Yep. Just keep feeding it flour and water equal parts by weight. And then... Um, uh, yeah, our our starter is something like thirty something years old. So you can, yeah, I was gonna ask thirty. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, okay. So once me. yeah, so once we get our our dough, I guess mm-hmm. together, uh, then is it just pretty straightforward from there? Uh, well, not really. No. So okay. like, I mean, uh, like <laughs> it like it can be, but uh, yeah, yeah like, you know, what am I doing next? The so you know, key tips would be using like actually like warm water. Okay. Um, you want your you want your dough like dough temperature is incredibly important when you're talking about fermentation. Um, cause you're, you're two controllables when you, when you ferment something or time and temperature. Yeah. What is the temp that you keep the production side? So, uh, around 70, um, okay. is, uh, is, the bakery stays around 70 and, um, but we mix our doughs to be around 78 to 80. So like use warm water, actually temp the dough and then, um, uh, that'll give you kind of a good guideline. So if you're, if for us, if your room temperature is around 70 degrees, if your dough is 78 to 80, it takes about four hours for, for sourdough fermentation to be, you know, for be done bulk fermenting. Hmm. Yep. Um, but for, for me, like what I, what I say is like, you know, keep like a log cause it's easy to say like, Oh, I'll remember. And you're not, you're not gonna, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, so write down, you know, I use this temperature water and my dough temperature was this. And you know, it was this uh, around this, it was cool in the house that day or whatever. Um, you know, I always like when I started baking at home too, you, you start doing this thing where you just like, you know, wave your hand around while you're, while you're walking around your house and trying to find hot spots and cool spots. <laughs> and you're like in a closet, you know, reaching underneath, underneath something. That's kind of cool in there. You gotta get those laser temperature things. Yeah. I got one of those and then I realized that it really stressed my dog out because uh, she would get fixated on it. So yeah. 
We don't use it anymore. Um, <laughs> we have a, a radiator heat in a, in our house. So oh like, yeah. Yeah. Putting putting it on putting the dough on top of the radiator um, really works. You know, just keeping it warm. Um, but uh, you know, so it's temperature is really important. Being patient is really important. By like one, you know, making sure that the dough actually does like rise, and once it's actually you know light and airy, then you can shape it. Um, and you let it rise again, and then. Um, but I also mean like be patient with yourself. You know, like so wait, it, you okay? So you let it rise, mm-hmm. then you shape it. Mm-hmm. Then once it's shaped, you let it rise in that shape. Yes. And then okay, got and it. And then usually what what we do for sourdough for, for sourdough production is like we refrigerate that overnight once it's risen and shaped, and then um, bake it from cold the next morning. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So once okay, got it. After the second time that it rises, put it in the fridge yes then bake it and your your shapes are rectangular or oval right well so it's you got you got batards which are oval okay um and that can that's uh you know i got a couple different shapes out of that one but and then you got bulls which are round okay yeah what about the square ones or rectangular oh oh, the the pullman yeah yeah is that what that shape is called that's called yeah well it's actually it's called called the pullman pan named after the the pullman uh rail car oh same one chicago uh yeah likely uh, yeah yeah sure yeah, <laughs> yeah a big like uh yeah uh, yeah. yeah pulley pullman south side he was yeah. great Love they, that well, guy. so it's a, they yeah they developed these pans because like the the um train ovens uh were like um um or ovens on trains were like really long and skinny hmm. so yeah they developed this pan that would fit in the oven but it's also like kind of shaped like the rail car because it's like yeah it's still yeah. a sourdough skinny. loaf ours is yeah okay yeah. coleman was the richest guy in chicago before marshall field oh i believe that yeah yeah can we fact check that or we'll fact check it <laughs> you know, you trust me. <laughs> i know Tim that love studying it's, other people's well clothing sure. adjacent yeah um, okay so it's easier to adjust your bread to your environment than the other way around Oh, 100%, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because uh, it's, yeah, definitely, because, like, otherwise you're, I don't know, trying to control weather and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it won't rise if it's too cold. Yeah. Uh, and if it'll, it's it'll, too hot, it'll rise too much. Or... Um, so if it's if it's too hot, it'll, like, kind of just kind of like a kind of a soupy, sticky mess, and, like, you get I a see. lot of acid production it. once it's, like, really hot. So then it's, like, just more difficult. So there's a, there's a sweet spot. Um, what if you threw a hot mess into the oven to bake it? What then happens? Well, you can do that. It's you know, it's uh, you're just going to be you know finding out what that what that means. Yeah. What, yeah so what is exactly what is that? <laughs> like, what's mean? your conjecture on what will happen? Yeah, exactly. So you're asking, oh, so it, like you if know, you put you're... a hot mess in there. What uh, kind of bread are you yielding versus like the ideal sourdough? Flat, maybe like a yeah, like a blobby sort of you know, just kind of misshapen sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's just not gonna it's not gonna be like a nice tight you know loaf that that has spring or whatever it's just going to kind of go out and be what it is and then we were talking earlier but why does bread deteriorate over time like if you have fresh bread why does it get harder you know so on and so forth so it's like uh like a starch crystallization and moisture loss okay yeah so it dries out just dries out what is what's the ideal storage method for a good loaf of bread for any loaf of bread i guess so um uh, it depends on when you're going to have it. So, like, uh, if it, if you're just having it, you know, that night for dinner, just on the counter is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to keep it uh, for a few days, like a sourdough loaf of bread, you can just, like, roll it up in, like, a brown paper bag. Okay. Um, but you want something that's, like, not constricting uh, and allows airflow, but um, hmm. but uh, you're still not actually exposed directly to the air. That okay. Makes sense. So it's all about air. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, well, like, a, a, you know, it, so the crust can kind of be exposed. The cut side shouldn't be exposed. Um, the... Uh, it's kind of a, kind of an interesting side story. Is like the um, when you used to have a uh, communal oven, like in Europe, you know, families make like really big loaves of bread because the um, crust would be thicker because like bigger bread, bigger crust, longer mm -hmm. bake time, whatever. And the crust actually helps keep it keeps the interior moister for longer because you know thicker protective barrier. Ah, yeah. that's like um, the theory behind like a beef Wellington too, right? Like uh, meats encased in bread. Because that's it's like a preservative measure, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I heard it somewhere. Okay. Well, another fact. <laughs> well, then it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> Scotch eggs. Did, did you also read it on the internet, or? <laughs> uh, no, my computer didn't come with the internet. Oh. So. <laughs> uh, all right. So, w when would you? So, long term, you you could store it in the freezer. Yeah. So long term, uh, if you uh, uh, this like you know plastic wrap it, throw it in the freezer. It's totally fine. So airtight. Um, yeah, but airtight, and then, uh, you know, usually it'll be about, like, a month before it gets freezer burned. Um, but uh, regardless, is like, if you're if you're keeping it on the counter for a few days or if you throw it in the freezer, um, you'd want to let it thaw out and then throw it in, a, like, a 350-degree oven for, like, 7, 10 minutes and, like, really fresh it or toast it. Okay. One or two. But, yeah, it's going to be gonna be best, like, refreshed somehow. So when you travel, do you like to – do you seek out other bread makers? Is oh, that, totally. Uh, and what are the things you're looking for? Like, how do you assess a loaf of bread uh, well, from so, someone else's bakery? So something like something that like kind of irks me a little bit is like a lot of people be like, "Oh, it's the best this or it's the best," yeah. you know. And it's like so me, subjective. Well, it's so subjective. Like, and also like, what's the point? You know, it's like yeah, <laughs> more than one person can make good bread. You know, yeah. like I don't need to be the only person who yeah. makes good bread in Chicago. You know, there's plenty <laughs> of good bakers in Chicago, and um, that's great. You know, we should celebrate that. It's really cool. You know, so it's kind of the same thing. You know, across the nation, across the world, it's like. Um, let's and, say hypothetically you guys are closed for a week. Uh -huh. Where are you sending people during that week to get bread? Um, so I really like a uh, Florial as a bakery. Okay. Um, yeah, it's really like, I mean, Sandra's just a sweetheart. Uh, and she, I mean, her pastries are out of this world. They got a great baker there. Um, yeah, so I'd probably say, probably say Florial. All right, cool. Um, Lafrenette, uh, Pierre's really helped me out a bunch of times. He's a, he's a world champion baker. What does that mean to be a world champion baker? I, he went to like Coupe de Monde and just crushed it. I guess I don't know. What are they testing you on there? Uh, it's like it's all this like you know technical skill. It's like a, hmm. uh, a massive number of baguettes, and they all got to look the same. And oh, like, wow. they also, like it's like so it's like yeah, and then control. it's also like flavor, and like they do baguettes, and they also do world breads and whatever. So you know, he's he's a he's a he's a master. Batard juggling. Yeah, all the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, is America? Is there an American style of bread? Like, how does how does bread vary country to country, continent to continent? So I'm really glad you asked this question, actually. So like, I I really feel like we, um, you know, we're trying to. There's this worldwide view of like American bread being being bad and like Wonder Bread, which like yeah, in all fairness, was true. But like, we probably started that commercialization. Oh, and, uh, absolutely. Production, yeah, absolutely. Um, but since then, you know, um, we're developing this, you know, bread culture where, um, you know, tartine is a, you know, shiny example, um, that really like revolutionized the way that people want to make bread in, uh, in America, but it's, you know, stone milled, locally sourced grains, um, sourdough fermentation, higher hydration, sourdough sort of thing. Um, and that's, you know, very typical of the, of the different styles that you'll see in quality bakeries across America now. Um, 
and uh, you know, other than that, it's like you know, a lot of us are cooking grain before adding it to the 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 bread as like a porridge method or um, things like that. But it's it's um, yeah, long ferment uh, long fermentation, higher hydration doughs, and um, uh, you know, local grain makes yeah. a difference. Makes a huge difference. But yeah, I, I definitely seek out other other bakers like across the across the country, and then um, you know, even when I travel, you know, I went to uh, Richard Hart's Bakery in Copenhagen and spent a few days with him. I went to um, uh, Bonchi's Bakery in Rome, spent a few days with him. Like, it's, you know, it's what's great is like bakers all just kind of want to like hang out with other bakers in bakeries. It's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bonchi like the Bonchi pizza too, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, so yeah, he's got yeah. the the shop in the West Loop there, but, right. but yeah, yeah. So in in Rome, he's got the Panificio and he's got uh, Pizzerium. It's hmm. like a. And how often are you yourself consuming bread? Daily. Every day. Every day. <laughs> how often are you? How often are you consuming bread? Yeah, pretty frequently. Yeah. Um, and are you trying like all the different things that you're producing, or is there like kind of one benchmark thing where you're like, if I taste this and that's right, I can assume that all these other products we're selling today are also correct? Oh, uh, so like you're really able to like quality check it just by like you know visual uh appeal and and like size and color and uh smell and things like that um but uh really i'm, I'm the type of guy like you know as you're as you're seeing something or as you're walking past something like, oh, i'm just gonna cut this open i'm gonna try it and um you know i definitely don't try everything every day yeah because we make they're just a crazy Too amount of products things. yeah but you'd be like six times case. bigger than you are now yeah huh. <laughs> <laughs> Any challenges in getting PQB open or like, you know, stuff along the way that has happened? Yeah. How did that whole project come about? Was this you saying, hey, we, we need our own spot or were the partners like, hey, we'd like to create, so, create a designated spot for this? The, the one-off partners, I mean, they're, they're always incredibly supportive. You know, they're, they're great guys to work for. They're always very thoughtful. They're always, um, you know, very supportive. And um, they give somebody like me a lot of agency, you mm -hmm. know, so like I... I um, I'm really like take a lot of ownership over what I'm doing. I like really, you know, um, just try as hard as I can and, and just really facilitate just a lot of fun and energy in the business. And, and, um, you know, they just luckily they just let me run with that, which is awesome. Um, and you know, I, I don't think any, any of us, uh, myself included thought that PQB would become what it has, which is really incredible. I expected it. I don't know. <laughs> and I was excited because you guys are pretty close to our office. It's very convenient for me. But like, I'm like, when I found out you guys, Terry told me you guys were moving in on Grand, and I, I was like, oh, this is this is what the neighborhood needs. We're kind of in a food desert there, yeah. so it's really nice to have you guys there. I as appreciate you. Yeah. yeah. It's so, but yeah, as, as far as like, we 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 would, you know, you said you would stop into the Lake Street one and try to buy bread there. And yeah. Like so, um, you know, that happened every day, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> So eventually we're like, oh man, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should have a retail shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I can't. Yeah. I imagine that the uh, the undertaking of doing commercial, I mean, you know, commercially available bread or distributing your bread beyond one-off group uh, was pretty tough. Like, how did you grow it and you know handle that scale? Well, so um, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting story. So like the like when we first started, um, you know it's it's we just kind of uh what we did was was just went to the chefs of one off we're like okay well what do you guys want and then like you know paul's very connected in the chef community i had some chef friends and so we we just reached out to the people that we were friendly with and said hey we're doing this what do you guys want and then we ended up making like okay well, our, our our 
we were making like 50 different doughs and stuff, you know, and it was like six sesame bagels and some like non for somebody and like it was stupid. It was <laughs> there was no like there was no coordination to it. Yeah, or you didn't like say that. no to anything. No, it was just like, all right, well, okay, we'll make this one like that. And we yeah. were just like, we were just hemorrhaging money. It was terrible. And, um, you know, it was, it was really, really a hard time. And we're like, you know what, it, it, uh, this isn't working. We need to really shrink our products, uh, our offerings and really like figure out what it is we want to be known for. And, um, uh, we brought in a consultant and, um, you know, I just like spent a couple days with him and, and just was very honest and open and took his advice and, um, uh, really developed PQB into what it is, what it became as a wholesaler. Um, and then from there we were able to, to start growing once we had systems and efficiency and, you know, an actual program that we could train, uh, into folks, um, then, you know, then we had something that we could actually grow. What kind of consultant was this? Uh, there's a guy named Didier. He's a, he's, he does a ton of consulting. Um, and he's like, he runs, you know, a, a, I've seen uh, pictures of his bakery. It's just massive outside of D.C., I think. Okay. Mm. Um, but really, he's a super, super talented guy. Yeah. So a bakery consultant. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Who's your biggest wholesale client? Uh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, I have to think about that. So uh, Lula Cafe orders a ton of bread. Uh, there's, uh, But other than that, like um, uh, like grocery stores. Uh, yeah. You know, like... Um, fresh Market. Uh, yeah, I've Fresh seen. Market. That's where I get it. Um, uh, Toto is down in uh, Printer's Row. They get a bunch of stuff. Uh, Dill Pickle, um, Sugar Beet, and uh, Oak Park. Who's um, your most unlikely wholesale client? What do you mean? Like where you wouldn't expect <laughs> someone to be buying bread. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I don't really know. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're, you know. Florial. um yeah it's uh interestingly though uh, both of us we've we've gone to each other's rescue a few times with like like oh i'm out of rye flour i'm out of of bread flour and you know we it's you know we all get it yeah (laughs) how old is their starter i don't know who's got the oldest starters there's got to be a record for this i would imagine pierre i don't know Who started your starter? So we like to speculate it came from Nancy Silverton at La Brea. When, we were, when they were first opening PQM, they had uh, Pamela Fitzpatrick consult to, on their bread program, and she was, um, she was one of Nancy's bakers. So that would she, be a fun idea for a TV show, tracing the lineage of sourdough starters. Yeah, for a, a niche market, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the three of us to watch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. Any, like, uh, any chaotic moments in, in the journey? Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, really all of it. It's like... Were know, there ever times where you were, like, in crisis mode? You're like, I don't... Like, we have all these orders to fill, and this thing just broke. And, uh... Yeah, all the time. I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen some of, the, some of the times I post about, like, the oven going down or whatever. But, yeah, yeah like, I'm, I'm also the mechanic. So yeah. it's like, I no, I'm up on top of our walking cooler. I've got, like... Uh, oven motors. I've got you know a burner up there. I've got you know belts and fuses. You know, it's wow. just got to cross train the staff to 
Actually, I got a Performing couple guys. Uh, yeah, my, my head baker Mac. He he does a great job. Uh, he's he's really taken on a lot. Did you used to hire like other technicians, and then you're just like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm gonna learn myself. Uh, so, I, like, I'm of the mind when you're running a business, it's like you know we 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 um we use a bakery repair service as well. Um, and you know I call them in when like it's a lot you know more technical, or if it's like a you know it's a something that I can't figure out. Yeah. Um, or if I just don't have the time, um, and these are they're they're great guys. I love I love talking to them, and they they really do a great job. Um, but I also, anytime a repair person's in the in the shop, whether it's like plumbing or electrical or you know bakery equipment, you know I'm there with them, being like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, <laughs> you know? I want to like, know. Right, because it's like, then then you don't have to like because anytime something goes down, it's like, well. Now you gotta call somebody in, wait for them to yeah, get here, paralyzed. maybe have the part, yeah. you know, that sort of stuff. And um, so yeah, now I just keep backup parts. And once you start poking around, then it's like figure it out. You can usually figure it out. It's cool, admirable. Yeah. So, but as far as like crisis mode, I mean, it's like, yeah, all 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 the time. You know, it's um usually equipment failure. That that's uh that's always a it's always a big one. But uh, um also honestly, like opening up the retail shop. I don't know what, what Paul and I were thinking when we were, like, thinking about this place. We're like, oh, yeah, people will, like, come in and, you know, they'll get, a, a like, a pastry or coffee with their, like, one loaf of bread or whatever. And then we open up and we're, like, we're just crushed. <laughs> and, like, yeah. You know, there were apparently a lunch spot and, like, yep. you know, people are walking out with, you know, seven, eight pastries. And we're like, all right. That I was Tim this morning. Yeah. That was me this morning, yeah. <laughs> Tim starts the day with seven or eight pastries. Yeah. So, <laughs> which is which is great. We're really we're yeah. super lucky. We're super fortunate. Tim's we keeping really, you guys in business. Really appreciate it. I but... eat them on the treadmill. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's covered what, in crumbs. What's, yeah. uh, what's menu item creation like? Do you have full creative control, or do, does your team work together for stuff like that? So, you know, we really try not to have the, be, be, have the baker be about what, what I'm doing. You know, like, I want it to be a, a team atmosphere yeah. and, like, what we're doing together. You know, so, like... I I definitely am able to coordinate and kind of be the glue that holds it all together. But, um, you know, I've got a head baker, Mac, who is in charge of, like, the whole facility. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I've got a, a pastry chef named James, and um, he's incredible. Uh, so we all talk about, like, you know, this is what's coming up in season. This is what we want to see. We do, you know, trial runs and tastings and things like that. It's a very collaborative um, effort, but, but really, like, as I've grown the bakery, you know, you really need to have great leaders in, in uh, great areas, you know, and be able to trust them to do what they um, are really good at, mm -hmm. you know. So, like I said, it's like I'm very involved in every part of the bakery. Um, but, uh, but yeah, being able to have those trusted leaders that you're able to rely on is, is really key. And, and I, I try, again, I try not to have it be like everything that I'm doing because it's really not, you know, if you, we got... 40 something people that work at the bakery now wow right i'm like i'm not doing all that you yeah. know it's all these people so they do a great job so seasonality drives some of the ingredients as well well so oh, are you huge. like are you yeah. going to the farmer's market and seeing what's in season or do you have things planned out ahead of time oh no you just get email lists you know the farmers oh, will, yeah. you know, email you like we got we got this that the other thing and yeah and then just bring it to you so where did the idea for the book come about were you approached or did you always have a book in you well so i mean i Maybe uh, you might have caught on to this always, as you asked, like, what about flour? And then I rambled on for however long. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. so you had the knowledge. You had to yeah, get had it to, out on paper. I had it in me, but uh, honestly, no, uh, Paul pushed me to do it. Okay. Yeah, he's, he was there for a long time. He was like, you know, you should, you should really write a book. You should really do it. And then um, he wrote his book. So one day he just comes up to me and says, uh, yeah, I gave your, your number to my agent. You can expect a call. 
<laughs> and this is your deadline. <laughs> oh no, actually, like so. Then he so now it's in your court or whatever. So so I I get the call from from uh, from the agent, and um, then it just starts starts there, and and then we just took off. Cool. So yeah. did you get to pick the team? I see you worked with Rachel Holtzman. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that dynamic like? Oh, she's incredible. She's like she's such a super pro. Um, you know, she's she's able to really synthesize what um, you know. Uh, I had to say as an author and be able to make sure it's like digestible for a reader um, and it's able to be like understood and you know she really know, also knows like the the uh, process of writing a cookbook and, and um, how to deal with publishers and deadlines and things like that make sure that it's actually like really on track because like while you're taking on this monumental task of writing a book you know you're also running a bakery mm-hmm you know so and dealing with the move i think this came out around the time yeah right, every, a couple years ago it, this, was this did you work in this during the pandemic oh yeah 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 um yeah so it's i don't know if you if, if you know us as it's that's let's just pile it on you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then for artistic freedom did you get like um did you get to pick like the cover? Uh, were you consulting on the photography? How? Oh yeah, how did yeah. you do so, art direction? So art direction, um, yeah, was was largely like you know we we there um, it was published. Um, the publisher had a um, uh, an art director that we consulted with, but but largely it was um, uh, yeah, largely it's just my direction. It was like you know this is the vibe I'm going for. This is what I want to see, and then um, the. Publisher actually suggested um, Emily Berger from um, uh, the Detroit area as the photographer, uh, and um, that was a, that was a wonderful suggestion. She was really lovely to work with and really professional. And, and she, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, she brought um, or suggested um, uh, a prop stylist and a food stylist, um, and being able to have those have some meetings with those two prior to the shoot um, and kind of talk about what we're going for. Um, really was able to set the stage. So um, the uh, the prop stylist, her name was Janelle. She she was able to um, find the, these really awesome um, handmade prints uh, uh, from um, Tempered Label, uh, which we yeah yeah which you, you know now um, yeah we've made aprons out of print. I guess it's, is it would you call it printed? Well, it's not printed. It's like a, it's like dipped. dipped you know, it's yeah. like painted. Yeah, it's like so. She, yeah, she's marbling. Yeah, um, yeah, very cool. They stunned on paper. We, we, they did it on fabric for us. It's on the aprons that are available. We're doing a yep. new run right now. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So now we do, um, and we also um, use that uh, paper display or pastry. So we got a lot of, you know, it's co-branding. We like to say. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's very it's a very cool effect. Oh, thank you. Um, and um, the uh, so yeah, the, the actual direction of it that was that was largely like you know more or less my vision and and um, uh, but with a lot of you know contributor help. Uh, and it was it was great, you know, because like again, like talking to the the prop stylist, and she was just like, "Oh yeah, I got all this all this great stuff," and she was really able to execute the vision. Nice, you know. And then, um, uh, you know, the cover actually, I, I it was it was kind of wild. I had this like this moment, you know, we we had we had with the art director, we had had this talked about doing this like bread sculpture sort of picture, and in, in that that picture is like inside the book somewhere, hmm. and. Um, 
And but we're like we're standing around, we're like we're trying to do this, and we actually shot all of the the all the photography in four days uh, for this book. Oh wow! Which uh, I learned after the fact was not normal. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, because it's like. It, I don't know. It's it's hundred recipes and you know process photos and then like art artistic photos and stuff like that. Yeah, my friend Carolina shot the Lula cookbook that's mm-hmm. coming out this fall, and she she lives in LA and she was coming out and staying with us. She was here like all last summer working on that. It's yeah. like a several month process to do it in four days is unprecedented. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so you know, nice like, like I said, we just you know we just like to pile it on and whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, the result is a beautiful book it full of pretty. good yeah. information. So the the cover though is like this. You know, we have this moment where like we're trying to do the thing that we we had talked about. We're like, eh, it's not working. We're not vibing with it. And um, you know, so I had this loaf of bread, and I was like, you know what? And I, I positioned the paper behind it, and like you know, cut the cut the bread and opened it up, and I was like, we're gonna do this top down, and it's like this kind of cool open crumb structure, looks like a brain. Yeah, bread's called the book's called Breadhead. I was like, this this is perfect. So shoot it like this. We have space for the title at the top, names at the bottom. Done. Yeah, it's very clever. And. Uh, you know the like we gave it to the publisher and they're like like all right and and then they came back and they they sent me all all these different things and they're like uh it was like they they really just ran with like this 60s aesthetic that um that they pulled out of you know like just being breadhead and all the grateful dead talk and stuff like that um but it just looked like a like a jefferson airplane flyer from the from like <laughs> yeah. the 60s and you're like you can't even like read it and you're like is there bread in here i don't know it doesn't, yeah too it, psychedelic yeah i was like i was like oh, it doesn't really make sense and uh so i had to go back to them like five or six times i was like just do this here's the picture and then they would give me something else and like just nope just, just do this do this <laughs> and then eventually we got there so <laughs> oh man uh, uh yeah before we get to the gratuity round i wanted to ask which of your tattoos are inspired by bread and baking? Uh, so bread. I mean, mo- most of the most of the right arm. It's like a you know wood grain pattern uh, with like you know open honeycomb crumb on the the forearm, and then wheat and sun on the on the you know upper arm area or whatever. Is like it's the it's like the the baking one really. What was your first tattoo? Uh, well, you know, so if you, if you, do you guys have tattoos? I have a stick and poke. Yeah. So I, was gonna, well, I uh, probably wouldn't do again. Proves, proves my point. <laughs> is, uh, if, so if you have tattoos, you have bad tattoos. <laughs> and, uh, as yeah. long as they're good when you get them, I think, I think yeah. tattoos age out. I guess you got to be really picky for something that's that's going to be there forever. I guess I don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I was like, if once you, once you have a bunch of me, like eh, whatever, just keep going. <laughs> you know, I've had I've had friends before call me up. They're like, we're getting we're getting chili pepper tattoos. You in? I was like, yeah, whatever, fine. Yeah. <laughs> if you can find space, you can do it. Yeah, I know. I had uh, so I had a couple hours to kill when I was in San Francisco once, and I was like, oh, I'll just go get this other tattoo, and whatever. Yeah, it's and, a good pastime. Hey, Danny. Yes, Tim. Question of the Bronca varieties. Is that all right? It's totally cool with me. They are one of our sponsors after all. Terrific. Okay, the sponsor is Bronca International. That is the company. Yes. Fernet. So what's Fernet then? Fernet is the style of Amaro that they originated in 1845. Okay. So that style, Fernet, is basically a mentholated punchier so it's like higher proof and it's a mintier version of amaro okay 
I get that. It's a minty punch. Yep, and it has since spawned many imitators. Got it. And those also go by the name Fernet, but they're not Fernet. Branca. Right. Branca is the name of the distillery, Fratelli Branca. So it's Fernet Branca. I got it. That's all. Okay, can we get back to the show now? Yes, sir. All right, now for the gratuity round. All right. Greg Wade, what is your death row meal? Oh, man. So here's the thing. Like, you, like <laughs> I was asked this once. I went on for like 20 minutes. So, like, you can't, like... Fine. We got all the time in the world. All right, good. Well, so, like, uh, <laughs> uh, definitely ramen from Oystar. Nice. Okay. okay. Yep. Um, uh, probably some uh, definitely barbecue. Um, let's see. What's your barbecue spot in Chicago? I go to Green Street. Okay. I know that, uh, you it's know... convenient, yeah. Well, it's great. You know, they're, they're, they're nice folks. They do a good job. Yeah. The brisket's actually good and tender and moist and whatever. Yep. Um, the, uh, uh, mom's meatloaf, you yeah. know, Midwestern, gotta, gotta yeah. have, gotta have mom's meatloaf. Did she do anything special or pretty standard recipe? Uh, it was kind of different. She, she would always put like actual like whole mustard, like dried mustard seeds in it. Mm. She mm. wouldn't do ketchup over the top or anything. But, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mom's meatloaf. Uh, let's see. Um, it's gotta be some like, uh, some hot chicken in there. Some, some hot fried chicken, uh, a Reuben. Wow. What's yeah. your Reuben spot? Actually, so best place that I, well, one, uh, Steingold's does a great job. Yeah. But, like, yeah. the one that I always think about is there's this um, this Jewish deli in uh, the east side of Milwaukee called Benji's Deli. Oh. And I go there for, for Rubens. I've not been yeah, to Benji's. Yeah, that. Next time I'm up there. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's, like, thick-cut corned beef. It's, like, yeah, it's great. Benji's. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Add it to the list. Yep. Uh, pasta, really, like, an entire menu from Monteverde, because, yeah. man, <laughs> I, just, I love that restaurant, and Sarah's amazing, and... Um, yeah, the list, list can go on. Pizza, tons of pizza. Dessert? Uh, dessert, mint chocolate chip ice cream. Mm, from where? Uh, well, so, from, uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a big, I'm a big mint chip fan. Yeah, I'm pretty so. sure, yeah. like, in my in my reservation notes, there's got to be something that says, always send more than one dessert, you know, because <laughs> we're a dessert family. <laughs> and real quick, back to the pizza. What's your preferred pizza? Do you have a favorite in the city? Uh, so, Spockanopoly does a great job. Yeah. Um, love Spocka. Uh, and then... Um, Trying to think what else. What was the one Nagrant mentioned? Was it George's up in Evanston, I oh, think? Oh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, he said it was like the gourmet version of um, Pizza Hut, if Pizza Hut was elevated. Yeah, back oh, okay. Like vintage Pizza Hut. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. You know, so somebody I was just talking to me about out. like a, um, there's a there's a burger chain out in like the um, uh, Pacific Northwest that's uh, like... Dick's? I think might be, yeah, yeah, might be. And... Um, or the, yeah, that was mentioned in the Seattle... Who are we talking to about that? Someone was from Seattle and Sean Kemp. <laughs> Has there been a Sean Kemp episode? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, yeah, there's this burger chain, and they're like, and uh, there's a huge point of contention in the baker for a while because this guy was going out to the the, the Pacific Northwest, and they're like, what, where should I go? And somebody's like, oh, I should go to this place, and um, some people were like, no, that's absolutely terrible, and then you know, they're and they're actually they're talking about the same thing, and they're like. They, 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 I think they both said it's like a, it's like a hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars, you know, but a burger. And like both of them, like one of them was saying it's a good thing, one of them was saying it's a bad thing. And I was like, they say the same thing. Funny. I know the hot and ready is intimately. That was a staple at the factory when yeah. we started stock. I, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very, um, yeah, it's very appropriately marketed. It is both hot and ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and nothing the, about flavor. In yeah, there. there's the, yeah, <laughs> there's the two things, and it is ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, what is your favorite hidden gem restaurant? Oh, gosh, 
That's a good question. Honestly, I kind of feel like Oyster. You know, it's okay. like you know, yeah, I not a lot of people yeah. talk about Oyster. Oyster is great. When it's it first a giant opened, bowl I was there too. all the time. Yeah, it's very I, big. I I love it. I always go for lunch. I never like I try not to go for dinner. Yeah. Um, or but, that random deli on the east side of Milwaukee is pretty hidden gem to me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, Freddy's out in Cicero. Oh, so um, I live in Berwyn now, so I go to Freddy's pretty often. Yeah, um, it's great. It's like the most you're Italian out place outside Indian. of Italy. Yep. It's like, yeah, you go up there and you're like, where do I order? And somebody's like trying to yell at you for not ordering yet. But like, <laughs> yeah, it's... What's the order at Oyster? Uh, usually the uh, umami with uh, spicy paste. Okay. Yeah. And you at least one bun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite bread to bake and why? Um, I don't know. It's... Uh... We ask this of every guest. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> what are some other fan favorites? <laughs> no, yeah, no one has ever been asked that. Um, uh, usually, I mean, like sourdough, you know, it's like uh, just classic country. Um, Could you bake all this stuff with your eyes closed at this point? Yes. Is there anything that is challenging for you to bake? Um, like, just to get it just right, like something specialty you don't serve it in PQB or, you know. Uh, well, no, so we like uh, panettone. Uh, we do every um, every uh, Christmas season, and um, it is a year long stressor for me because mm, it's wow. like to get it just right. Well, yeah, because like so you keep this like separate um, this separate uh, starter for it. It's a very dry um, uh, like dough consistency, uh, natural leaven, hmm. and um, you have to like what we do is we like submerge it in water uh, when we like after we feed it, and that like concentrates like bacteria to um uh to make it really acidic which will kill off those bacteria then you soak it in sugar water the next morning and that cleans it and then you feed it a bunch of times and then you make your first dough and then you let that rise for like 12 hours and then you make your second dough and you let that rise and you bake it and you hang it upside down anyway at any point of this the um dough can just fall apart from you know over mixing or too much acid or too hot or too you know wow it's insane um but so you're saying we should buy this at the holidays yes it's like it's like a, it's one of the favorite things i make uh and it's definitely the hardest thing i know how to make yeah it sounds pretty special Jeez. yeah, yeah it's incredible but it's like yeah it's just like you know it's loaded we, we usually load it up with like toasted hazelnuts and candied orange peel and chocolate and you know soaked raisins and things like that and it's mm. like got this like crunchy sugar topping it's like it's crazy good hmm. all right that's what i'm bringing to christmas this year good yeah. uh what is your favorite item on your menu right now currently uh gosh like what are you taking home um so i, I usually just take home like honeyo porridge or the sesame loaf um things like that i try not to bring home too many pastries um Try not to, you know. <laughs> and then, like, my wife does this thing where she's like, she's like, oh, you didn't bring home any pastries? And then when I bring home baked pastries, she's like, oh, I'm getting so fat. Stop you know, bringing all the pastries Stop bringing home. all the pastries. <laughs> <you know. laughs> but, yeah, so it's like, I don't know. She's, she's, she's amazing. Um, <laughs> all right. What's your favorite fast food? Uh, gosh, that's a good question. I don't really, I don't really eat fast food, honestly. It's like, but you've yeah, had fast food, right? Yeah, I've had fast food. Because <laughs> you like, know what it is. We, well, yeah, well, we asked that because Rick Bayless says he's never had fast food once. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's. Uh, I I like. Uh, <laughs> All right, I'm taking you and Rick to Taco Bell, and we're gonna pick. Oh, up. like Taco Bell? Like it's the the one place I don't want to go is Taco Bell. No, that's the one place you do want to. Well, the one place you want to go is Culver's. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna say. Is like, okay. I, like All right, we're uh, getting like, somewhere. Yeah, I. Uh, if, when I, when when we when we have when we have, <laughs> it's usually like if we're if we're driving somewhere, especially in the Midwest, we'll stop at Culver's. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. what's the order? Uh, Butter burger, uh, deluxe. 
Yep. Yeah, you gotta go yeah. deluxe. Have to. Yeah, usually, usually that's it. No. Yeah. Yeah, root beer because cheese curds. Oh well, yeah, I mean from Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, <laughs> that's Zara, implied. Yeah. Zaragoza went to uh, Culver's last week, and I think for the first time he's like, "What's the order?" I'm like, "Butter burger deluxe." Uh-huh. And if you're feeling frisky, you gotta get some cheese curds. Yeah. He didn't like the cheese curds, but he said the burger was superior. Yeah, burgers are really good. Yeah, it is. Yeah. What trivia category would you dominate, other than bread, of course? Other than bread, uh, I don't know, maybe like science fiction. Science fiction. I'm a huge Star Trek guy. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Not Grateful Dead? Oh, yeah, definitely Grateful Dead. Music in general, I think. All right. I was hoping you might say that. We've got some Grateful uh, Dead no. trivia for you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Great. Don't sweat. All right. I knew most of these answers. Uh-huh. Greg, <laughs> what was the original name of the Grateful Dead? The Warlocks. That's right. Also the name of a popular studio song... What is the vending area referred to at a Grateful Dead show? Shakedown Street. All right, see, these are pretty easy. All right. In 1970, the band was busted in New Orleans for marijuana possession. What song recounts this mishap? Uh, Truckin'? It's Truckin'. Yeah. Busted down on Bourbon Street. Yeah. All right. Grateful Dead had a massive state-of-the-art speaker system that was so cumbersome to cumbersome to move that it ate up most of their touring profits. Wall of sound. Very good. (laughs) In the drum segment of each show, Bill and Mickey used an enormous collection of exotic drums. What is that referred to? Uh, the beam. The beast. The beast. Yep. Yeah, that was close. What animal sound is prominently featured in the song "Blues for Allah"? Ooh, I don't want to know. Crickets. Huh. Which finger is Jerry missing? Was Jerry missing? Wasn't uh, right index? Right No, middle. not right right uh, ring. Yeah. Right middle. Right middle? Yeah. Ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Although he was never an official member of the band, who toured and played keyboards for the band in the 90s? Uh, gosh, was it, uh, it wasn't Brent, right? It was, um... Close. Starts with a B. Ugh. He had a massive solo career, too. Uh, no, I'm not. Bruce Hornsby. That's what it was. Maybe not massive. Yeah. So that's maybe generous for him. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> this one is... Here's a is question it... for you. Donna, yay or nay? Uh, I'm nay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you had to be there. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's uh, in, in the documentary, the uh, Amazon one, uh-huh. I just, I'm like, I don't like her vibe. It seems like she kind of weaseled her way in there. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, in their 30-year career, 1965 to 1995, how many original tunes did the Grateful Dead play? Oh, jeez. This one surprised me. You're really close. Yeah, 184. Yeah. And they did 317 covers. Wow. And last question. It's a two-parter. <laughs> this is such an intense right? <laughs> like detour. Also, just uh, grilling of Greg. This, no, you've got this one. Uh, okay. What is the name of the Grateful Dead skull logo, and what song is it from? Uh, Steely. It's Steal Your Face. Uh, it's uh, uh, He's Gone. That's right. Yeah. yeah. All right. And then uh, there's... And then Tim of, has 20 more questions. If <laughs> there's a lot like of discussion it. about who He's Gone is about. I've heard um, that it was like one of their dads who was like their manager who took off with money early on. Uh, was I, it Pigpen? That's that's another theory. I, I always thought it was Pigpen. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't. I think there's still some dispute on that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll fact check it. <laughs> All right. Back to, back to your regularly programmed gratuity round. Oh uh, to what God. do you attribute your success? Uh, you know, uh, I would say, uh, hard work, um, a lot of luck, uh, and 
you know, really the, the connections that you can make along the way. You yeah. know, it's like nobody gets where they're going alone. If you uh, could have dinner with one of the one-off partners, who would it be? Oh, Paul, you know, he's, right. yeah. he's, he's my guy. All right, cool. <laughs> Easy. Uh, yeah. Uh, what is something that bars or restaurants do that might annoy you? Uh, or bakeries, we can include those. What do they What do they do that annoys me? Yeah, I don't know. I got this thing that like, so I don't know. Maybe it's really like pretentious of me, but it's like if I if I get up and go to the bathroom and my napkin's not folded by the time I get mm-hmm. back, just I'm not going back there. Wow. Yeah, that's not true. I, <laughs> I will go back, but I will like I will absolutely. I'm dining it. and ditching, and I'm burning the place to <laughs> yeah, the ground. I am, uh, yeah. I'm leaving it's a one so percent like, tip. Like, it's like a it's like a it's attention to detail. Yeah, you know, it's, it's I mean, a, it would probably depend on the space. Yeah, I was gonna say what's like the. Like at a like certain Culver's, level, you're not expecting that. Yeah, honestly. what what's yeah. the criteria where you'd expect <laughs> that level of hospitality? I don't know, like, uh, I don't in, know. In the one-off catalog, which right, all one-off spots you think? No, I like I, I like I'm not even sure if you get like uh, if you get like cloth napkins at like Doves or anything like that. But yeah, um, no, I, I know you do it when you're in. when you're at yeah. a nice place. But yeah, yeah, Publican and Avec, Blackbird would definitely do it. Yeah. yeah. Publicans got some of the best napkins in the game with the pig. They still do those? That was old school. I don't think they do a pig on them anymore. I remember I was talking to Erling last week. He's like, yeah, those ended up at everybody's houses. Yeah. He's like, I'd go to friends' houses. You have what, they'd have, they'd have like a publican yeah, <laughs> napkins. It's, it's kind of thing when you have cool stuff, people are yeah. like. Oh. True. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then last question. What is the best thing about Chicago's dining scene? Yeah, honestly, like, I feel like we're super fortunate in Chicago for, for the... Um, uh, the culinary scene that we have, you know, like it's, it's incredible. Like we're a part of the, um, Chicago chef's cook, uh, community that like, you know, it's just when like a world crisis happens, like we get together and we like try to raise money to fund world central kitchen and other, other good charities and stuff like that. But it's like, when you go to these sorts of things, it's like, you see all these other chefs, you see all these people and it's like, everyone's friends, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's not like, you know, like I was saying before, like bakers just like hanging out in bakeries and, and, and doing, you know, baking stuff. Yeah. It's like same thing in the chef community. It's like it doesn't see there's there isn't I don't know at least then from from my view like when you see people it's not like this rivalry you know it's mm-hmm. like um, you know uh, actually Donnie and and Kevin from Boca just put on like the welcome conference with Will Godara and whatever. like so it's like yeah it's two massive names in in hospitality and it's very easy to be like oh we're gonna they're gonna compete and butt heads but like no they came together and created this you know great conference yeah. um, about hospitality. And, um, so it's, it's really, yeah, we're, I feel like we're really fortunate. It's like, we got, we got, we're in the middle of farm country, so we get great, uh, produce. Um, there's a lot of talent. Uh, everyone just like loves what we're doing and like being from the Midwest, we love to eat. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, we're, 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 I feel like we're super fortunate. Nicely put. You heard it here. Chicago's the best food city in the whole world. That's right. All right. Well, that was the end of the questions. Thanks so much for joining us today. Right. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, guys. And that concludes our conversation with Greg Wade. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to hit that subscribe button and also drop a review if you're so inclined. You can find additional content on Instagram at JoinersPod. Remember, this episode was produced by Matt Haddock, music by Captain Cuts. And as always, our real and video content is provided by the one and only Joe Guzzo, the Goosemeister. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week.